Praise God. God's good. Amen. Um, before I start this morning, I, I wanted to just mention that some of you, if you watch the news, you'll see that, um, you know, Russia is looking to invade Ukraine. How many have seen that on the news? Not everybody, but anyway, so that's what's happening, I guess. But, um, you know, our church has invested um, literally thousands and, th- and probably 100,000 or more in missions in Ukraine. I've preached there, uh, I can't even count all the times, all over the nation, uh, from north, south, east to west. And, um, and we start, you know, started churches there with, uh, with Peter Mel. And actually, Peter Mel went to heaven from Ukraine, and he died there. And um, and so we're heavily invested in that nation, and know, I know I know hundreds of believers there, and um, I just I wanted us to just maybe as we start here today, maybe we could pray together just for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and somehow that God would intervene in that situation and bring a supernatural uh, uh, conclusion or solution. Would you stand with me so we can just pray together? Let's just agree. Lord, we just thank you right now. We just come before you on behalf of the nation of Ukraine, Lord, our brothers and sisters there, the churches that we know of that are there, Lord. We just pray, God, right now, pray for your divine protection. We pray, Lord, that you would intervene. And Lord, we don't know what exactly is going on. We don't know every plan or every purpose, but God, we pray for an intervention in that nation, Lord. We just pray... Lord, that uh, you'd hold back the forces of, of evil and, and aggression and totalitarianism and that you'd hold those things back. And Lord, that, that somehow that that nation would be rescued at this time of great need, Lord. We just pray. And God, we pray a protection around your, your people there, Lord. If we were in their shoes, Lord, we would want somebody to pray for us. And so we pray for them now, your divine protection over them and around them now, Lord. Hallelujah. We just thank you, God, that you are Ukraine's salvation. You are their deliverer. You are their salvation. You are their tower of strength, Lord. Hallelujah. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody agree, say amen. Well, turn to somebody and say hi real big and be real exuberant about it. Hi. So this morning I got a message for you, and uh, I titled this message, The Great Heart Reset. The Great Heart Reset. That term, I've, u- I've heard it used. I don't know what it's talking about. They talk about it, the big reset. I'm no, I don't know uh, if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyways, I captured that and used that in my sermon, The Great Heart Reset. And I got this title out of Psalm 78. And uh, I wasn't going to, I was, that's kind of a passage I was going to read toward the end of my message, but let's go there to start out, just screw up my notes a little bit here, and let's go to that passage, and I want you to see something about this as we start. In Psalm 78, verses 5 through 12, um, it says there, for he established, talking about God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. It's very important that you see that word testimony. He appointed a testimony, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Notice past 
pass them on to their children, that the generations to come might know them, even the children that should be born, who should arise and tell them to, to their children that they, might, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And so one translation says that they, if you keep on reading, is there more? Verses 8. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright. Set not their heart aright. That's where I got the title. Set not their heart aright. And whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his laws. And they forgot his doings. They forgot his doings and his wondrous works. They forgot his doings. They forgot his wondrous works that he had showed them. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of his own. So I want my, the object of this message this morning is to get us, to give you some tools how that you can reset your heart. You know, I wish, I think everybody, if you're, if you're a Christian, everybody in this place has at one time or another set their heart aright as far as setting their heart on God and, and on his purposes. Maybe, maybe the first time you did it was at camp. You were having a kumbaya moment and all of a sudden you sense God's presence. And so you go, Lord, you know, like one time I was at a minister's meeting and, and uh, there's a bunch of big name preachers there and, and, uh, and we were having communion. It's, it's kind of a funny story, but I won't tell you all the details. My wife told me not to tell the details anymore. But anyway, so um, I like details. But anyways, but she thinks, never, never mind, you don't care. But anyway, so, um, uh, but anyway, so, um, and we were having communion. And this is like the very, this is back in the 80s. This is like the very first time I got a revelation about communion. Because, you know, I grew up, we, we had communion every Sunday, not every Sunday, but once a month. And we had those, those uh, styrofoam uh, wafers. Remember those things? So you put them in your mouth and they get stuck to the top of your mouth, roof of your mouth. You try to pry it out and, and then you take a little juice. And it's just kind of a rich, it was almost like a ritual to me. But I did it, you know, and I, you know, I talked about remembering Jesus. And I kept thinking to myself, why do we have to tell Christians to remember Jesus? I used to think that was so crazy. But remembering is a huge thing. And, uh, and so I remember we, they, they had this, um, they had this um, gigantic sub, um, uh, subway loaf. It was like 10 feet long or something. I don't know where they got it. This long, because there was like 2,500 ministers there. And so this nationally known evangelist, he went, he went through, he went down the loaf and he blessed the bread. And then we all went up there and took a chunk of it. And then we had a little cup and, and we went back to our seats and then we were going to receive communion. And I don't know, I was sitting there and I was I was going, Lord, you know, I was talking about I was praying about the communion. And all of a sudden, I mean, it just swept over me that what I was holding in my hand represented the greatest sacrifice ever recorded in human history. And that if it wasn't for that sacrifice, I would not know Jesus. I would not be on my way to heaven. I would not know righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy I would not know God. I would not know I'd be a heathen, uh, and I'd be lost without God, ready to split hell wide open. And it just hit me, just swept over me in that moment. So I, you know, I, 
I'm a big crier, you know. I hate crying. I hate crying. But so I started crying. I'm just like, <laughs> and, and I'm holding this, thinking about what this represented. And, and then I said this, and it came out of me. I said, Lord, whatever you ask me to do from this day forward, I'll do it or die trying. Because I just saw that he had died for me, took my place. And so my reasonable response was what Hebrews, or Romans 12 says, offer yourself a living sacrifice. I said, I'll do it, die trying. And you know what? In that moment, and this is, I, it's hard for me to say this because it's shocked me and it'll shock you when I tell you this. He said to me, because I said, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it or die trying. And he spoke back to me. He said, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it too. And I thought, and in the moment he said it, I thought, no, that can't be right. But then I started thinking of all the prayer promises. All the prayer ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Every single one of them has a positive conclusion. Whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, you'll have them. It goes on and on. I mean, every one of the prayer promises, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you will, it shall be done. Every one of them are positive. None of them are, none of them are I'm not going to give you what you ask for. None of them are that way. Isn't that amazing? But that really is what communion is. It's, communion is the covenant meal. And that's what covenant is. Covenant is, if I have it, God, it's yours, Lord. If I have it, it's yours. And God goes, if I have it, it's yours. That's the basis of covenant. And, um, and so it's important for us to remember. And so I don't know why I shared that. Do you guys remember why I shared that with you? Anyways, I shared that with you. Anyway, so, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want you to catch is that there's some things that God, that these children of Israel missed out on because they forgot. They forgot. And the thing that says that they forgot is that they forgot his testimonies. They forgot his testimonies. You know, I used to think testimonies were just another word for law or commandments. But think about what testimonies are. You know, Jesus said, I will make you witnesses of me. Remember that? And you'll go into all the world and you'll be a witness of me. What do witnesses do? They testify. They give a testimony. What they have seen, what happened to them, what they experienced. They, they provide proof of something that they know in a court of law. And Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses for me. And in 1 John chapter 1, he talks about, John talks about, he goes, the things that we saw... He goes, you wouldn't believe what we saw. <laughs> In fact, at the end of his gospel, he said, if everything I saw it was written down, the book, the world couldn't contain the books that should be written. Everything I saw, it was amazing what I saw. I saw blind eyes open up. I saw the most amazing things. I saw dead people come back to life. I saw, I saw a man walk on water. I saw, I saw lepers cleanse. I saw people that were hopelessly lost. I saw them come to a saving knowledge of God. I saw the most incredible things. And he goes, all those things that we saw, he goes, I declare them to you. Why? So that you can have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. 
See, he said, the, the, uh, David said, they forgot his testimonies. In other words, all the people that testified. If you keep reading there in Psalm 78, he keeps talking about, he keeps talking about how they failed to remember he, he split the Red Sea for them. He brought Israel to, to he brought Egypt to their knees. He, he sent with plagues and different things. He brought every god of the Egypt. He destroyed every god of the Egypt. And he brought, Israel, he brought that nation to its knees. He opened the Red Sea, brought them through in, into the wilderness. He fed them supernaturally. Uh, he, he defeated armies before them. Walled cities fell flat. I mean, he defeated all these things. Angel, he would dispatch angels. Angels would kill hundreds of thousands of people. He did all these things, and they forgot about it. They forgot about it, and, and God had told them. He said, you tell your children about the things that you, had, that you have seen, the things that have happened to you, and see what happens when you, when you testify. When you testify, what happens is, of course, people give glory to God, but testimonies are so powerful because what they do is they bring the reality of a, a written God into the, in a time-space world. It's like, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, when Jesus, he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. And one of the signs, you know, is that they'll pick up serpents. And it doesn't mean that they'll literally go around grabbing snakes and playing with them. It means that they accidentally, you know, I had a funny thing happen to me. We were in, my wife and I were in California, and, and I was, we were in a motel. And this motel had a, like a little kitchen area there. And uh, I, I was walking around, you know, with no shoes on, just uh, barefoot. And I walked over to get a cup of coffee, and I stepped down, and I, I thought I felt like a little pinch or something. I thought, and so I, I didn't, first of all, I was not going to think anything of it, but I thought, well, I wonder what that was. I looked down, it was a scorpion. And I had stepped on its head. And its last dying thing, it tried to sting me. But I stomped on that scorpion. <laughs> Amen. Now I checked this, even broke the skin. You know, it was kind of a funny story. I go up to the reception and I said, I just killed a scorpion in my room. She goes, I'll give you half off. <laughs> I wasn't going for half off, but what's scorpions doing in the hotel room? And she said, the door blows open. But... But, you know, so it's, it says, it says they'll pick up serpents. It says these things. But then Paul actually had the experience where Paul was gathering sticks and he put the sticks on the fire and the serpent came out and bit him on the hand. And he shook the serp poisonous serpent off into the fire and he felt no harm. So that's the testimony. You have the written, you have the written report or the written account in God's word, but then you have the testimony. The testimony is a real story that supports what was said. And so it's not just enough to have a written report. There's also, it's important to have the testimony. In other words, to have testimonies that you read, testimonies that you hear where this actually happened. This actually took place. Something happened to me. Something took place and my life was altered or my life, I was healed physically. I remember, you know, I tell this story a lot because the one thing that the children of Israel forgot was the testimonies. They forgot all the people that testified. This is what God did. And there's, the Bible's full of testimonies, but we even have modern day testimonies. 
where God showed up and God did some things. And the people forgot the testimonies. They forgot the, the promises. They forgot the commandments, but they also forgot the testimonies. And what happens is when you forget the testimonies and the commandments is you start to lose your heart. You start to lose your heart. And the whole Christian life is lived out of your heart. The strength of your Christian life is your heart. If you can't keep your heart, what will happen is you'll lose your life. The person that keeps their heart is the person that keeps their life. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 that out of the, out of the heart flows the issues of life. In other words, the things that ultimately determine the destination of your life comes out of your heart. If you don't have the right thought, that's why we've been talking a lot about thoughts. If you don't have the right thoughts, you don't think straight. You know, I just encourage everybody here to read great stories of people that have had encounters with God. It will stir you up. It will stir you up, buddy. Because what happens is you start seeing there are things that are possible that, are not, that you're not experiencing right now, but they're possible. There are people that were healed. If you're suffering with a physical ailment, there are people that are, have been healed of the, your ailment. There are people that have been healed of it. And what happens when you read the account, it stirs you up. There are people that have gone through things that, that you're going through, and they came through, and they were victorious. God showed up in their life. That's a testimony. And God can, read, God can do it again. Because what happens when you hear a testimony, you go, God, do it again. This person... You know, this person uh, raised godly children. And God, I got these rug rats that I'm trying to raise. God, do it again. Right? God, do it again. God, do it again. Just say that. Say that to your neighbor. Say, God, do it again. Don't tell him, call him God. But you're not calling him God. We're just agreeing together. Believe me, he ain't God. But that, that's, how, that's why to reset your heart. One of the things that, that David said in the Psalms there was the thing that caused them to lose their heart was they forgot God's testimonies. They forgot his testimonies. And it's so important. You know, I, last week I, I concluded the sermon. I got so many notes here, so many things to say. And I told myself, speak short today because we have a dinner and uh, we don't want it to burn. So... But, um, but I, I concluded my message last week talking about this guy named Jephthah. Remember that? How many remember that? Jephthah. Some of you weren't here. But I concluded by, by uh, talking about this guy named Jephthah. And if you look at his story, he's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of faith. But I want you to look at his story in Judges real quickly. And we'll just kind of go over it fast because I did mention it already last week. But re repetition is really good. But Judges chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, he said, Jephthah the Gileonite was one tough warrior. He was the son of a whore. That's rough. <laughs> That's a rough translation. Mine says prostitute, but... <laughs> Are you sure that's the right translation? <laughs> anyways, but mine says prostitute. But anyway, so, but Gilead was his father. 
Meanwhile, Gilead's legal wife had given him other sons. And when they grew up, his wife's sons threw Jephthah out. They told him, you're not getting any of our family's inheritance. You're the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and went to live in the land of Tob. Some rough riffraff <laughs> joined him and went around with him. What's interesting about this story is Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. And it's, so it doesn't tell you too much about his family dynamics, but you can just imagine what it was like. You know, he, if he's hanging around, he's, he's a constant reminder of his father's sin, indiscretions. And so everybody despises him. He grows up just being despised. And he's rejected. He's basically an outcast. The Bible doesn't give us all the details about, but we're just imagining what it's like. But when the half-brothers grew up, they threw him out. But here's what's so important. And this is because when you think about your life, you think, I mean, I don't know if you guys have regrets about your upbringing. I had a pretty good upbringing myself. But sometimes people come from a lot of brokenness. They have a lot of dysfunction, and they, it makes them kind of feel awkward and and they, have, they suffer from a lot of different stuff. Well, that's what this guy evidently was suffering from a lot of dysfunction in his life. I mean, tremendous dysfunction. But it says he fled to a place called Tob, T-O-B, Tob. Now, what's interesting about this word, this word Tob means pleasant, delightful, delicious, sweet or savory, in taste or odor, be pure, clean, cheerful, gleeful, Glad, gladness, joyful, good, kind, acceptable. Sounds like a good place, huh? So here he came out of a, this incredible dysfunction, this horrible situation, and he went to a place that was pleasant. Actually, one of the words says that he went to a place of higher rank or higher position. He went to a place that was pleasing, a place that was good. He went to an environment, and so you get the idea is that there are people there in this environment that he went to, that he's, here he comes, and he's all broken and all, you know, he's like a cr crazy person. You know, he's got all these issues, and we got tissues for your issues, and he, he's, you know, just eyes are probably bar bar darting around his head. He's waiting to get rejected again. He's waiting for somebody to speak something ugly about him, and he's got his back up, and he's, He's just angry and he's just all out of sorts and he's really in a bad place. But he goes to this place that's pleasant. He goes to this place where there are people there that speak to him and call him up higher. There, he goes to a place where people speak destiny over his life. He goes to a place where people speak, you're not that. What they said about you was not true. You're, you're here for a reason. You're here on purpose, for a purpose. God ordained that you should live at this time. He has a plan for your life. You're going to do great things. You're going to be a great deliverer for your people. Something great is inside you. Something amazing is stirring on the inside of you. These people evidently spoke life to him. And it was like, they, every time they walked by him, they said, live, live. And he just, went, he just said, you're not that. You're not a, the son of a prostitute. You have the call of God upon your life. There's greatness in you. I'm calling it out of you. And it just was like this amazing uh, prophetic situation that he was involved in. 
And all of a sudden, his soul started to live. All those hurts, all those scars just began to be healed. And he started to rise up. He started to come forth. He started to have clarity. And, and things began to come clear. Because when, you live, when you're in turmoil like that, it's hard to see clearly. Because you have all this stuff turning and stirring inside of you. And you, you can't even see, figure out, why am I here? You feel like a... You feel like you were an alien from another country and they just somebody dropped you off somewhere, you know, and you ain't Superman, that's for sure. You don't feel like Superman. You feel like a has-been. You feel like a, a, you know, I had a sermon one time, I called it, uh, you're not a whatchamacallit. You're not a thingamajig. You know, my dad used to always use that word. How many ever heard that word? When you don't know what it is, you go, well, that, give me that thingamajig. In other words, it has no value, no purpose, no, it, we don't know what it is. It's a thing. A th- it's a thingamajig. And that's how some people feel. They, they just don't think that they're here for a reason. They don't think that they're here for, on purpose. They just think somebody, they just think that they, they surprise God. You know, I always tell people this, that you're not a surprise to God. You might have been a surprise to mom and dad, but you were not a surprise to God. You know, it's kind of funny. My mom, she, um, she is a great lady, a godly lady. But when I would tell her, see, we have five kids. So when I'd tell her that Trish was pregnant, she, she you know, she was okay the first few times. But after that, she's kind of like, uh, and my mom, when she wanted to say something in a rebuke, she would <coughs> clear her throat. <laughs> and so she'd go, um, I'd say, hey, mom, guess what? Trish is pregnant. <coughs> And she actually, after about four kids, she actually started suggesting to me that I didn't, I didn't, I was like a dumb hillbilly. I didn't know how it was happening. Because when, when I was little, you know, I learned about the bee, birds and the bees from some people that weren't birds and bees, weren't flowers, if you know what I mean. And so... I had asked my mom about it when I was like a 12-year-old or something. I said, hey, mom, how, where did babies come from? And she started. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave me the Christian version, if you know what I mean. So I think she thought she, she didn't do a good enough job, so she didn't think. But, but here's the deal. <laughs> Some of you are wondering why I shared that, right? <laughs> Okay, I'm moving on. Just don't just stuck here. Just keep moving on. Let it go. Let it go. But um, it's like that streaker story last week, you know. <laughs> After I told that streaker story, several of you sat there like this. But, but you might have been a surprise to mom and dad, but you are not a surprise to God. The Bible says in Psalms 139 that he knit you together in your mother's womb. And and all the days of your life, he wrote out in a book. You are here because God ordained that you should be here. And you shouldn't let the weaknesses in other people, in their words, confine you to a prison of insignificance. That was a good point. Thank you. But Jephthah went to that place. And in that place, he began to heal and to be restored and to shake off the dysfunction of his past. And he obtained a new identity. 
And it says, in Jewish encyclopedias, it said that Jephthah would go out and he would do raids against the enemy camps. Him and the rough riffraff that traveled with him. And they began to become a they began to bring deliverance to small little communities. And the day came when Israel called him and said, We need somebody to fight against the enemies that are coming against us. And this one that was rejected became a mighty deliverer in Israel. You see, when you live in the right place, when you live in the right place, and I'm not talking about a physical location, but I'm talking about when you, when, you ca- when you can have the right thoughts, because people don't understand how important thoughts are. Let me just tell you a few things about thoughts. The mind is the scene of the most intense spiritual battles. You should write that down. The mind is the same because what happens is our thoughts affect how we feel. I don't know if you ever sat there and just started thinking about something. Then a few, few minutes later, you're going, man, I feel crappy. <laughs> how many ever done that? I feel crappy. <laughs> Maybe you're a mom and you yelled at your kids. I mean, just totally lost it. And then you're sitting there and you go, then you, you're thinking about that. You go, I think I'm the world's worst mother. I mean, I'm not a mother, but I mean, you understand, I, I, I've said, I thought that about being a father. These kids need to have a better father. <laughs> they're going to be in a, they're going to be in a uh, psychiatrist couch. My daddy was nuts. You know what I mean? Our thoughts affect how we feel. Our feelings affect our actions. Our actions create habits. Habits determine character, which creates the life that we live, which determines our destination. It all starts with thoughts. You say, well, how, does thought, how are thoughts connected to destination or destiny? It's all connected because it starts a chain reaction. If you don't arrest thoughts that come that are contrary to how God thinks about you, it's dangerous to think different than how God thinks about you. It's so, di- it's so dangerous because it's gonna, it, this thought is going to lead to something. It's not going to not lead to something. It's going to lead to something, especially if you continue to think it. The devil took the whole human race captive with a lie. Behind every bondage, every bondage, if you're in bondage this morning, Behind every bondage is a lie you believed. Behind every sin is a lie that you believed. You believe something that's not true. And so it's important for us to get these things out of our lives. And, and it's, I think it's a continual battle, but I think that you can, because what happens is, We all have like a default thing. You know, it's like we go to some place to soothe ourselves. How many know that's true? You want to hear a funny story? I got to hurry up here, but I'm almost done. I was preaching in Japan. And I won't give you all the details, but it was kind of a, it was a rainy morning. And and we had had crusades there and we've been preaching and several churches had been cooperating with the crusades and and so this was the last meetings. It was Sunday morning, and we were all splitting up 
There's three ministers. We were all splitting up going to a different church. So I had to ride this bullet train. I think it was a bullet train, but it was a train. But anyways, and so my wife and I are there, and, and this Chinese lady is there. She's our, our interpreter. So, so we're on this train, so it just stops. We're sitting there for 10 minutes, and nobody speaks English. Everything's in J- Japanese. They have the attitude, if you want to be here, learn our language. You want to know what's happening? Read, read, learn to read Japanese. That's their attitude. And so finally, I found somebody that spoke English, and they go, they, they had announced in Japanese, this, tra- this train was not enough people on it, so they closed it. You had to take another train. So then we got on another train. We just kept going. And so I was looking at this Chinese lady, and she had a great testimony. And I started thinking to myself, I wonder how well she understands English, because she's my interpreter. So I go, I wonder how well she understands English. And, um, and so I, I started talking to her, and she seemed like she understood pretty well. I mean, I told her what I was going to preach on, kind of give her a little head highlights of the sermon. And, and so, so here's that we get there, and it comes time for me to preach. And I go, hey, everybody, it's so good. for, for uh, I'm so excited about being here. She taps me on the arm, and she goes, what excitement mean? <laughs> At that point, I knew we were in trouble. And so this is how the sermon went. The sermon went like this. I'm preaching. She does a couple lines. Then she gets stuck. And then somebody in the audience goes, no, no, that's not what it means. It means this. Somebody else goes, no, no, that's not what it means. It means this. So I got this three-way conversation. And I'm going, who do I believe? I don't understand Japanese. I don't know what's going on here. So, I mean, the sermon, it was a, it was, it was a disaster. Wasn't it, Trish? It was... It was and my wife is the kindest person around, and she said it was a, it was a, it was, I'm sitting there going, blah, blah, blah. now where was I? Because <laughs> after they got done all bantering it around to figure out what I just said, I'm, I'm going, now where was I? I can't even remember where I was. So after I got left there, you know what I did? I went to my place of refuge. I went to McDonald's. You know what I needed? I needed comfort food <laughs> for my soul. I ordered two Big Macs and extra large French fries. And I know you're looking at me like in a condemning way, but I'm just telling you, that's what happened. But you know what? It's like a love-hate thing. I just thought, I mean, I'm going to McDonald's. Some, somebody asked me, the other team members came back. They said, where have you been? I go, McDonald's. Why would you eat that? I mean, you feel less when, when somebody goes, we eat McDonald's every week. You go, oh, what's wrong with you? But how many know this is true? That It's like a love-hate thing. You love it because it momentarily gives you comfort, but you hate it because you get, dig- <laughs> you get digestion, <laughs> indigestion afterwards, right? It's a love. And that's a lot of things that we use for comfort are that way. It's a love-hate thing. I love chocolate, but I sure hate what it does to me. I don't like chocolate myself, but but women seem to like chocolate. I don't know. I don't know why I said all that. Do you guys remember? So here's the thing: is that we have to we have to learn to reset our hearts because what'll happen is if you don't reset your heart, what happens is you love what God hates, and you hate what God loves if you don't, reset, you don't learn to reset your heart. 
See, it says in this verse, it says, they did not set their heart aright. They did not set their heart aright. And so let me just give you one more point. Okay, can you take one more point? Are you guys doing okay? Are you guys still stuck on the birds and the bees thing? You stuck on there? Somebody need to tell that guy about that. I want you to turn to Psalms 119 real quickly. In verse 111 says, Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever. In other words, notice he says, Thy testimonies, David said this, Thy testimonies, the things that you have done in the past, I have taken as my inheritance. In other words, you did it for somebody else, but I'm a part of the same family they are a part of. And so you're no expecter of person. You'll do it for me. And he said, they are the rejoicing of my heart. Then he says this. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes forever, even unto the end. Even unto the end. So here's the next thing. He said that he inclined his heart. How many know that you have control over your heart? Because you have control over your thoughts. So there's three, three, three things that you could look at. To be inclined means to stretch out, spread out, extend, incline, or bend. It means to reach out. It has the idea of, of reaching out to. I incline my heart. My heart is reaching out after thy statutes. I'm reaching out after your voice. I want to know what you have to say. The other thing, the other way you could look that people could live their lives is being declined. When you decline something, you say no, you withdraw, say no, thank you. Or you could be reclined, which basically you go through life yawning and having the attitude, whatever. But if you want to reset your heart, you've got to, you've got to incline. If you want to reset your heart, you have to incline. You've got to be proactive. So actually, the way we incline is through our habits. In other words, we have to have, we have, to have right habits. Because habits, good habits put us in a place or expose us to things that are healthy for us. Good habits. Bad habits expose us to things that are not good for us. You know, they say that you know, they say that reading a book, people that read books are happier than people that watch TV. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch TV, but some people should shut their TV off some and read a book. Right? Because that's living your life recline. You're, I'm, just, I'm just vegetating. I've had a hard day. I've had a hard day. Honey, go, get, go to McDonald's. Give me two Big Macs and supersize it. If, get one of those horrible shakes. <laughs> Have you ever seen those shakes when they get old? It's like it's, you don't drink the whole thing. You look at the bottom. It's like, what? It's like it's growing or something. It's like it's breathing or it's like it's come alive. It's like a monster or something. What is it? It's not, even, it's not even food. It's, it's whatever. 
It's a thingamajig, yes. See, so here's the thing. John Maxwell said, you can't have uphill hopes and uphill life with downhill habits. He went on to say, we don't determine our future, we determine our habits, and our habits determine our future. Do you know that it's possible to love this? I have never come to this point. But they say, they being somebody out there, says that it's possible to love broccoli more than you love chocolate. I know. <laughs> That's impossible. But, I mean, you can, you can actually get into that habit. You can actually develop good habits, not just bad. I'm not saying that eating chocolate is a bad habit. Maybe it is a bad habit. But our habits really determine where we're going to go in life. And so I'm just, I just gave you two things here. i got to quit. Did you guys get anything out of this? Okay, so it's, it's kind of a brutal message. but So the first thing is, the first thing is remember to, to reset your heart because you have control over your heart. The first thing is don't forget God's testimonies, which are his mighty acts, our, our, our testimonies that, of people that tell you what God did for them. That's a testimony. Don't forget those. You should live on those because it, it, it does something to your faith, does something to your hope does something to your life. And the second thing here is to incline your ear or incline your heart. Not decline or not recline, but to incline. Amen. So let's all stand together. I had quite a bit more to say, but we'll just quit there. So I don't know if you've ever done this, but like, I've read stories of powerful testimonies of people that do exploits and, or people that have had God show up in their lives. And I, I, don't, I don't see how you can read stuff like that and not be encouraged. Because what you're doing is the thing that God told you to do in order to set your heart aright is to remember the testimonies. Remember all God's testimonies. They're powerful testimonies. Amen. Because what do we say when we hear a testimony? God, do it again. Turn to your neighbor and say, do it again. God, do it again. Don't let this be the last time you do it. Do it again, Lord. Praise God. Let's sing this song together. I won't forget the moment I heard you call my name Out of the grip of darkness Into the light of grace Just like Lazarus Oh, you brought me back to life And where there was dead religion and Now there is living faith all of my hope and freedom I found in Jesus' name Just like Lazarus Oh, you brought me back to life 
The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus come on, yeah. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. sisters over there because of this house. They are our people. And there's an enemy that wants to crush them. They're outnumbered 100 to 1. But I think about Jehoshaphat. I think of the people of old when they are numbered. And it's no different. God is no different today than he was back then. And he can intervene for those people. He can send confusion into that camp and destroy the enemy that is out of the will of God. I just... I don't want to quit. Because I know God can do something. There are people. I see us doing something that was crazy, but Jehoshaphat, God told him this same just began to glorify God in the midst of all that chaos and all that massive power by the eye it looks absolutely impossible that Ukraine could even have a chance to stand against that but last night I don't hardly watch news we were watching the Olympics and they came on and said it's critical Russia is ready to crush them and they're they're exiting out of there. So let's do something. I, let's get the music going. And all Jehoshaphat 
And the only thing Jehoshaphat sang was, The Lord, He is good and His mercy endures forever. It's the refocus. I off of the enemy. And I on the Almighty. And that those people that we stand, even if you feel like prayer speaking things, begin to declare that the spirit of boldness would begin to rise upon the saints and great courage would be their stead. The spirit of David, the spirit of David would begin to rest on them. And they would say, who is this? For we know God. We know God's place of music. And if you guys got anything anything, any declaration, just be bold and sing it out. Let's sing it over that nation. Let's connect ourselves with that nation in this house because we are connected with them in the spirit of the living God. And he is the almighty God. Let's not go by what we see. Let's go by what the heavens report. For there's a newspaper in heaven that declares that the kingdom of God will reign upon the earth. Jesus, we call on your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, sing it out. The Lord, he is good. His mercy endures forever. Jesus, we connect with them. It's coming. The Lord, the Lord is good. And His mercy endures forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord, you are good. And your mercy endures into the enemy camp. A turning on one another. We speak confusion into the government. That they would lose their way turning on each other's plans. I just want to share a testimony it seems right to do that. Steve was talking about the testimony. Back in 1985, I was a young sing about it and traveling with an evangelist. Found ourselves in a little town called Antelope, Oregon, where the Rajneeshpuram 
And Bagwan was an Eastern leader that came there and he set up this big camp, bought this ranch, was running people out of there. And it was just totally a lot of demonic stuff going on. They were, they took over the city, this little town of Antelope. They took over, started taking over the county and their goal was to take over the whole state of Oregon and they were on their way. They were starting to poison government officials they had more arms. It was kind of one of the first terrorists that kind of come into this nation. And uh, the evangelist and I, and I had my wife and my little boy. He was only a half a year old. And I was laying in bed there one night, and God said, I want you to go to Antelope. And I want you to start on one city limit and go all the way to the other city limit and back the other and began to praise my name and lift my name in that city in the midst of all that chaos. And then I want you to declare my will over this town and over this place and begin to prophesy confusion into their leadership. He said, if, I, if you do that, I'll act on that word. So we told some people we're going to do that. And they said, you're nuts. People have gone in there and they haven't come out. And so fear wanted to grip me. I said, Lord, did you tell me to do that? And every time I close my eyes and get quiet, God would say, yep, go to Antelope. So we did that. We went there. The spirit of fear in that town was just, the, the few locals that were left, it was just incredible. And even when we walked out there and they surrounded us, you know, gave us this escort right to town. But I said, God, you didn't tell me to talk to anybody. You just told me to declare this. I'm going to do that. And if I'm alive, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I'm just only going to do what you told me to do. And so, remember, uh, it was Greg Goodspeed was the young evangelist. Remember, we got out of the car. Said, you go over there in front of that. They, they took everything. or renamed the streets, took the school over, everything. He said, you go over by that restaurant, raise your hands up there, start praising God. I want to get a picture of you and Antelope. <laughs> but so then we, the only, the only little place they had to take over was the post office because that's federal. So I parked, we parked the car by the post office. I left my wife and my little son in there and Greg and I, we got out and walked right down the middle of Main Street. We, be, we just lifted our hands and with all our might just started singing the praises as loud as we could. And their whole force just escorted us through town. And uh, we went all the way up just declaring his goodness, declaring the strong arm of the Lord and uh, in that place. And then we began to prophesy confusion into their leadership. Went all the way through, all the way back. They never touched us, never said a word to us got back in the old big Lincoln and drove out of town. Three months later, 
Somebody said, you heard what's going on in Antelope? I said, no, I really haven't. He said, mass confusion has hit the leadership. And they're turning on each other. And now they brought the FBI in, and they're dissolving the whole thing. And now the ranch that they bought, which was 200,000, it was huge. A Christian boys camp has bought them. And lives are being transformed there. That is the testimony of God. I believe he can do the same thing for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. That's why I tell that story. So remember them. Remember the testimony of a living God. Powerful. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, we want to, um, we want to, uh, we have a, a dinner, and um, so we want, it's a fundraiser. You know, you don't, it's not mandatory for you to stay, but we'd love to have you stay. It's, there's no charge, it's just a free will offering. So, uh, and the money we're raising for is um, um, uh, your, uh, India's, India, India missions. So, um, and also, so if the prayer counselors could please come forward. Uh, we're going to ask you to come. And somebody just felt like they had a word of knowledge that somebody here um, needs their heart healed from trauma and shame. So if that's you, if you feel like you need your heart healed from trauma or shame, please come forward and have one of these prayer counselors pray for you. Well, let's pray over our food, then we can dismiss and you can eat. Lord, thank you for this fellowship time that we have. Thank you for the food. Thank you for all your mighty works, Lord. We are so grateful for them, Lord. Thank you for the testimonies. Hallelujah. We just pray you bless our fellowship. Sanctify this food to our body's use. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So God bless you all. You're free to go. If you need prayer, especially if you have this heart trauma or shame, please come forward and have these prayer counselors. God bless you, everybody. You're free to go.